You are listening to Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My. I'm Joe Records. I'm Payo Nanavati. In today's episode, we are digging into the intersection of technology and value-based care. That's right, Pyle. This episode is the first part of our mini-series with Kroll Health Solutions, which is a strategic consulting firm that Kroll & Mooring launched earlier this year to help healthcare organizations and technology companies to transform healthcare by improving patient care and health outcomes, advancing health equity, and lowering healthcare costs through solutions like digital health innovations and value-based care models. Today's conversation will be led by one of the leaders of Kroll Health Solutions, Troy Barsky, who also is a partner in Kroll's healthcare practice. And previously, he was the director of the Division of Technical Payment Policy at CMS. And our guest on this episode will be Michael Meng, the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of Stellar Health. Michael has invested in healthcare companies for the past decade and sits on the board of various healthcare and public health organizations. In 2018, Michael co-founded Stellar Health, a healthcare technology company focused on enabling success across the value-based care continuum by bridging the incentive gap between providers and payers. Given the innovative work that Stellar does, we are excited to have Michael on today's episode to discuss the intersection of technology and value-based care. With that, I'll turn it over to Troy to begin the conversation. Thanks, Pyle. Uh, And Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. I wanted to start off by asking a question about your perspective on how technology has changed the healthcare industry's ability to engage both healthcare providers as well as their larger care teams in what we call value-based care. Well, first off, Troy, thank you for uh, having me here. And I think it's it's been really amazing to watch some of the changes that came out of both the ACA and really ultimately high tech uh, come into play here now in, in value-based care, whether it's machine learning or not. The idea of structured data is really important, right? So the idea that you do know the diagnosis or you do know uh, what is wrong with the patient in a, in a way that's not just free text, but truly somewhat structured is, is certainly important for any sort of data and technology. And in, in this case, by pushing our industry towards those data standards, we've actually opened and unlocked an ability to use that now to really drive value-based care. Sometimes when I talk to some of our board of advisors, they point out, you know, definitely great idea that Stellar's working on, makes a lot of sense, but not sure that 20 years ago, technology would have been in the right place to even facilitate that. So I really do believe that uh, the last 10 years has brought about the ability, the kind of foundation and and backbone around data and technology that allows us to really do value-based care today. Still a long way to go, but I, I am optimistic. Thanks, Michael, for that response. Shifting gears slightly, beyond the Affordable Care Act and high tech, HHS in the last administration decided that there was regulatory barriers to uh, value-based care, uh, specifically the anti-kickback statute and the Stark Law, you know, two anti-fraud laws that are designed to keep parties apart from each other, where in the world of value-based care, you really need to bring parties together to integrate care, coordinate care. So essentially, the laws were diametrically opposed to each other. At the end of the last administration, they put out new regulations that essentially waived 
these fraud laws if you were willing to engage in value-based care. I know in our work that we've done uh, with Stellar that you have started to explore these new safe harbor, these new protections to facilitate your work with uh, providers and payers. But wondering if you could provide your perspective on how these new safe harbors, these new exceptions have impacted Stellar and allowed you to continue your work. Thank you, Troy. I think that first, I have to commend the the kind of regulators and, and, and let's call policymakers who have driven this advancement, right? I think it, it goes to show that laws and policies fit within a certain setting or time frame or framework that makes sense. If you think about Starkling and anti-kickback, for me, that fits very well and it makes sense in a fee-for-service world, right? If we're doing everything on a fee-for-service basis, you really do want to protect against proliferation of fee-for-service activity. I think that value-based care, the concept is, hey, there's actually a finite dollar to manage the same patient, right? And so I don't know if I care whether you do more things or less things. I think you want to, I want you to do the right things uh, overall. And, and I do think that to your point on the last administration, they, they recognize this diametrically opposed point that you bring up, and they sought to really fix it in the situations where it really made some sense. Uh, and I do think that was actually one of the biggest things that they were able to accomplish that frees up a lot of different entities out there, whether it's ACOs, clinically integrated networks, a lot of our clients and people we work with to be able to feel confident that coordinating care for the in service of value is more important than maybe some of these protections that were originally in place. I'm fortunate enough that one of our board of advisors is um, a person named Paul Mango, who was at HHS, and he always tells me that this was actually one of the biggest things he's really proud of and accomplishing. It was a little overshadowed by Operation Warp Speed and the whole vaccine, uh, which is also important, certainly, but this was also really big and, and groundbreaking for them, so really proud that that did happen. I think there's still a lot of room, though, for precedent and case law, right? So if you if you talk to provider or provider groups today, they still get really squeamish and skittish if you just say the word Stark, right? And not and maybe rightfully so. Um, there's a, a history of maybe maybe uh, the, um, kind of being penalized for that, and so and maybe tripping it, so to speak. And so I think that there's still more work to be done to really let's call it implement the kind of okayness around this idea over time. Thanks, Michael. I completely agree uh, with your your last point. I think the the thing that I would add in addition is that I think there still is room for Congress. Uh, I know that Congress was originally contemplating essentially making a lot of these regulatory changes that ultimately occurred to put them in law and put them in statute as well. So yeah, I think there's potentially room for for Congress to make these regulations or regulatory requirements mandatory um, or at least permanent in statute, and that may also uh, provide some greater assurance to healthcare uh, providers and, and payers. Moving to another related question, you know, there has been some enforcement. You know, we've seen from the Department of Justice some enforcement against healthcare uh, companies, uh, and especially health tech companies, regarding adherence to the anti-kickback statute, maybe to a lesser extent under the Stark Law. 
this is a contrast or a departure from the past where really you saw the enforcement agencies go after providers or payers that had a direct relationship to the government, either because they were enrolled in a program or contracting directly with government entity. Health tech companies are different, obviously, in that they sit in between or coordinate between providers and payers and other healthcare entities. But what responsibility do you see in light of the sort of unique nature of health tech companies in adhering or ensuring adherence to these safeguards with the products that you offer at Stellar and other similarly situated health tech companies? I personally feel that the way we think about it here at Stellar is I think to try and be principled about this, right? And, and by principled, I mean, we should be also very, very careful in, in, in caring about these exact same regulations and laws just as much as maybe the provider or the payer should be. At the end of the day, we're part of the same ecosystem and we help facilitate that. That does not absolve us necessarily of saying that, that this does not matter and we need to ignore it. Um, we do take it pretty seriously in terms of making sure our entire compliance program follows along it, that we vet those things by, you know, well-trained and experienced lawyers like yourselves or other potential regulatory consultants, just to make sure that we do not run afoul of these things. I think increasingly, if you, if you view technology as a enhancement, right, think like bionic arms to accomplishing anything, then we are still part of that ecosystem and we do have to take uh, that responsibility alongside our, our kind of provider or payer uh, customers or partners, for sure. Great. Thank you. Moving to a different topic, as we spoke about the last administration and you know their focus on obviously warp speed and the changes to the anti-kickback and uh, stark regulations, the current administration is very focused on health equity. So wondering from your perspective in, in leading Stellar, how do you believe that technology can close the gaps with regard to disparities in the provision of healthcare? Yeah, I think it's it's actually one of the best ways to try and address it, right? So I think that there are lots of ways where maybe education or marketing or access are some of the ways to address it. And that's kind of the traditional way to think about it in healthcare. I do think that technology and kind of going back to what I said earlier around data and structured data, the truth is you have to first acknowledge that maybe some certain ethnicities or races or socioeconomic classes do not have the same access to care or that they were left behind, right? And in those situations, with the data and technology, you can now identify that. You can say that's true. Uh, not only do you need to say that it's true, you then have to say, hey, we're going to do something different for those folks. We're going to do, we're going to try a little harder. We're going to try and meet them where they are. And again, technology not only allows you to then identify that, but to maybe say, I'm going to give a little bit of a differentiated offering to meet them there. Uh, and that is actually something that we espouse quite a bit at Stellar, which is this idea that it's okay. In fact, population health management by definition is kind of saying, well, if you are a healthy patient, I don't really need to spend more time on you, right? I, I maybe help you here and there, but I'm going to try and not serve you as much because you're pretty healthy. If you have a lot of issues, and because maybe of health inequities and access issues in the past, I should help you more, right? That's how we keep the whole population healthy. And so I think by definition, uh, technology that kind of solves for that identifying and then serving and treating 
certain populations that have not quite have the privilege uh, is exactly the answer to how we try and bridge this gap and make it better. And and getting a bit more granular to address the, the health disparities and, and improve health equity that, that you just described and, and sort of technology's role in, in doing that, do you think that health tech companies should incorporate social determinants of health metrics uh, into their applications? Or in other words, how else might health tech companies more specifically address these social determinants of health? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think yes is the answer. I think all of us actually as participants in the healthcare industry have a, a little bit of a responsibility to address it, right? I probably would broaden your statement in terms of whether it's social determinants of health or otherwise to address uh, health equity, meaning I don't think that's the only arena that can sit in. But I do think, yes, it, it is definitely healthcare technology, all of our role to find ways wherever and whenever we can to address it. I, I find it interesting. Sometimes it's it can be small too, right? Just small ways to address it. And it can also go into really big, grand uh, ideas to address it. But all of them are in, important and needed to make this change happen. Thank you. So final question for you. We've had the pleasure of of working with you and and with Stellar for the last few years and have seen your impressive growth and and how you've really started to work with many different uh, types of entities in the healthcare marketplace, whether it's uh, payers or providers. Can you describe for our listeners just for a few minutes how you believe Stellar is different from other health tech companies and population health platforms? Yeah, thank you, Troy. I would say First, really the fundamental uh, of what Stellar is all about is that there are two different constituents here that maybe historically have sometimes been at odds with each other, uh, these payers or health insurance companies or risk bearers, and then doctors and their staff. And it's important to remember the medical assistants, the front desk staff, nurses, they're all part of the, the entire experience that they haven't necessarily always had the best relationship, right? Uh, denials and uh, no pays or underpays, overapplied. These are just contentious things in the industry. And so what Stellar has done is said, we take money from those who have it, the insurance companies, and disseminate it to the right doctors and staff who help in value-based care in a way that allows them to make that extra money for doing the right value-based care stuff. Yet, those activities are the same ones that really do drive value for the overall system. And so in that way, it is really a win-win all around. And and we've been able to do that. In some ways, I think of it as the democratization of the value-based care dollar instead of just going to the central organizations and whatnot. It is actually getting down to the front lines, the doers of the work. And to your point, I think one of the things I'm most proud of in the last a year and a half is that when we started, we, we really did start with more, you know, kind of onesie twosie physician groups. And, and that's just what was given to us. And we succeeded there. But we actually have moved quite a bit and adapted what we do and changed such that today we serve really, really large health systems, right? So systems that have thousands of doctors, multi-site, very complex uh, in, in, in many different states. We also serve mid-sized groups that, you know, are 50 to 200 doctors who've gotten together doing value-based care and still serve um, also the smaller uh, kind of one to 10 doc groups. But in addition to that, we've even diversified into FQHCs, right? So the topic you were just talking about, a lot of times people say, hey, you can't really serve FQHCs. What I actually attest to you is this, 
as long as you get the money to the people who actually did the work, it works. And this is true for FQHEs. It's true across the board. Like as long as you just reward people who do the right thing, it, it all kind of the results will end up kind of taking care of itself. And, and so I think that what we're really proud of here is our job is to enable any provider or provider group out there, no matter what type of line of business you serve, what community, um, social net, et cetera, we will serve that to really succeed in value-based care and, and, and really no provider group or patient should really be left behind. And, and I think that's something we're still in the early even though we've grown quite a bit um, in the early, early innings of our journey still, and really excited to keep expanding uh, to bring that to more people. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time today, engaging in this conversation and talking about these important issues. And we really hope that as your uh, journey continues, you'll come back and visit with us again, and, and we can continue to engage in this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you again, Troy, for having me today. Payers, Providers, and Patients Oh My is a podcast brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash healthcare podcast.